available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Researchers with the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization expect to be ready to begin field trials of a new bovine tuberculosis vaccine within the next couple of years. Bovine TB is a contagious bacterial infection primarily of livestock, but it also affects other mammals like wildlife species and it can spread from mammals to humans. Dr. Jeffrey Chen, a research scientist with the University of Saskatchewan, says because bovine TB is highly transmissible and poses a serious risk to the public, it is reportable. And if Canada was to be affected by it, it would shut down the cattle industry, resulting in disastrous economic consequences. Well, it's going to take some time to clear the backlog of traffic as a result of the B.C. port strike. A lot of cargo is sitting waiting to be loaded onto vessels and moved out of the port. CN's Assistant Vice President of Grain, David Shednovic, says the recent strike caused a number of delays for traffic flow, but the focus now is on implementing an orderly plan to resume carloads and intermodal movements. He says there's all kinds of traffic that was stalled in the port that's got to move inland east and the traffic that's loaded that wants to move west. He says for every day the supply chain was shut down, it will take many days to get back to normal. After the break, Jeffrey Chen. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. It is hoped that very soon there will be a new bovine tuberculosis vaccine. That work is being done at the Vaccine Infectious Disease Organization. And with us is Dr. Jeffrey Chen, a research scientist with the University of Saskatchewan's Vito. Uh, Jeffrey, first of all, maybe start off by explaining to us what bovine tuberculosis is. Right. So bovine tuberculosis is caused by a bacteria, and it is a chronic um, contagious bacterial disease, primarily of livestock, and occasionally other species of mammals like wildlife species. And uh, in addition, uh, bovine TB is also a zoonotic uh, disease. That means it can spread from uh, mammals to humans. Um, And so the, the signs of disease are typically... Uh, of active disease is typically coughing, uh, fever, um, and and the bacteria responsible for bovine tuberculosis typically targets the the lungs, but it can affect other uh, organs of of an animal. So a very serious disease. So maybe explain what the economic implications of bovine tuberculosis is, and maybe some of the international uh, trade issues that could arise. Right. And so because um, TB poses a uh, a serious health risk to the public and it can uh, and and because it is highly transmissible among livestock, it can uh, cause significant losses to the livestock, uh, specifically the cattle industry. Um, And if Canada were to be adversely affected by bovine TB, it would effectively shut down its cattle industry, and this would have disastrous consequences for uh, export. Um, It would effectively shut uh, external markets to uh, Canadian beef. And this would obviously cost uh, millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in economic loss to the Canadian economy. 
And what is Canada's status as far as bovine tuberculosis? And uh, what are the concerns with regards to um, keeping the country safe from the disease? Right. So Canada officially has a a TB-free status um, in that the occurrence of bovine TB in in Canadian uh, cattle herds is extremely rare. Um, And so at the moment, um, bovine TB in Canada is reportable, which means if there is even a suspicion of bovine TB, it is reportable to the CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, who then act very quickly to uh, put in place uh, mitigation strategies, that w- which would include quarantining, um, uh, trace contacting, uh, diagnoses, and then um, what what is called a, a test and cull uh, program, which means all animals from a suspect herd are tested, and then if there are any uh, positive, uh, positively detected cases, these are humane and humanely disposed of, and um, the 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 facilities housing these animals is essentially um, uh, made to to undergo a deep cleaning. Uh, and then the CFI follows up and, until all cases and all traces of the disease are, are, are no longer uh, uh, apparent. So how is Vito approaching this and, and the challenges that uh, are created with coming up with a vaccine? Right. So uh, Vito, as you, you and your audience would know, has historically been uh, engaged in vaccine development to prevent infectious diseases in both uh, livestock and in humans. And so we have been in the last uh, five, six years, been engaged in the development and trialing and testing of uh, various vaccine, TB vaccine candidates for, for use in both humans and livestock. And so at the moment, we've got a number of uh, very promising candidates that we are are testing. And the hope is that we will have uh, one or two prime candidates to bring to the clinic, uh, which we hope will make a significant dent in the global TB incidence rates. Are you able to share with us what stage the work is at at this point? So... For at least one of the candidates, we are uh, in the preclinical stage, so that means we have characterized what the vaccine does um, in terms of the uh, immune responses. Uh, We have characterized uh, how protective it is in certain animal models of TB disease, Um, but we are yet to conduct uh, large-scale trials in the field, for example, to in, in, and under testing the vaccine under real-world conditions, for example, in a uh, in a field trial, and we we are, are hopefully going to progress to that stage in in the next couple of years. As usual, Vito is doing amazing work. Uh, is there any way for us to get more information uh, about the work that's being done specifically for the vaccine for bovine tuberculosis? Oh, you're more than welcome to contact Vito's uh, uh, public relations office or uh, members of the senior management at Vito in order to get more information uh, about our, our uh, TB research uh, uh, efforts. Jeffrey, is there 
anything else that you wanted to add or, or something that we didn't cover? Bovine TB is, even though Canada has a, uh, has a bovine TB free status, uh, bovine TB still affects many, many other jurisdictions. And because of the nature of uh, trade and movement of animals, it's, uh, it, it is very easy for, for, for diseased animals to, to, you know, be, to come into contact with our herds or, or products can come into contact with our herds. And so surveillance and uh, ongoing investment in, in TB research, both into human and livestock TB is paramount. Dr. Jeffrey Chen is a research scientist with VITO, which is part of the University of Saskatchewan. After the break, David Shednovic with CN will talk about the port strike at BC and explain that regardless of how long the strike lasts, it always takes time to clear the backlog and the most important strategy is to have a good strategy to clear it. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. The strike started July 1st at BC Ports and caused a lot of headaches for everyone, including those in the agriculture sector. Now the job begins to try and clear the backlog of uh, cargo that is sitting, waiting to be loaded on ships and the rail cars that are loaded with products as well. CN's Assistant Vice President of Grain, David Shednovic, uh, the strike caused a number of delays, but uh, overall, I'm sure that CN is happy to see that uh, the trains should be moving again soon. CN's really pleased that the BCMEA and the ILWU have reached an agreement, so everybody can agree that uh, this is no small deal, that millions of people depend depend on uh, goods moving here back and forth east and west, and those ports are extremely important. Uh, we're focused right now on implementing an orderly plan to resume our carload and intermodal movement. So we've had a lot of traffic staged, uh, waiting to move forward, uh, pending a resolution and the fluidity of all of the, the facilities on the waterfront that were affected by the labor disruption. Um, so, of course, there's all kinds of traffic that was stalled in the port that's got to move inland east. And we've got a bunch of traffic that's loaded that wants to move west. Um, very, very heavy impact, of course, on intermodal, but also there is carload traffic that's staged as well or staged back at the origin waiting to advance forward. So um, the facilities are coming back up to run full tilt at the waterfront. Uh, we have our uh, business resumption plan here uh, executing as we are, uh, you know, as we speak. And we're just keeping a close eye on, on traffic to mitigate any further impact. So that means just looking for, you know, what's going to be, um, priority here coming out of the labor disruption. We're going to have the next 48 hours as we speak here on Friday morning where we are maintaining temporary uh, rail traffic embargoes because you can't just all of a sudden flood a bunch of traffic in. That's going to cause a problem. We want an orderly resumption so that we can get up and running as fast as possible and then we'll take that off working closely with customers to position traffic destined to the ports. So that's where it is right now just in a nutshell we're coming out of course everybody understands that bulk grain shipments through licensed grain handling facilities were not affected by the labor disruption but there was all kinds of ag related traffic that was for example uh, grain stuffing facilities are not licensed grain handling facilities for the most part in the port of vancouver vegetable oil terminals handling canola oil they are not licensed grain handling facilities you have the movement of other 
refrigerated ag goods such as you know think of all the pork uh, products that were uh, were stalled out here so um, just like anything it's like it always is grain is not grain it's more complicated than saying just 100% yes or no being affected uh, and again that falls into the category of working closely with customers to get back up and rolling here so so how do you go about setting priorities uh, to clear the backlog to really get back up and firing up you've got to You've got all this traffic that wants, you already know, it's already waiting to be moved forward. We've deliberately positioned that traffic to move forward. You know, and a lot of the, it's fair to say as well, that as all this, uh, you know, this traffic was backing up, not being able to move over the course of this disruption, that had um, cascading effects all the way back into the interior, thinking about the intermodal ramps that, uh, that we operate where things slowed right down. So it pushes all the way back into the country. So we know... We know what we've got staged on the network, just like if you had a, a, a disruption to the main line where you had traffic staged on either side of it, waiting to go both directions. Well, you got to get that stuff moving first before you can advance anything else. That speaks to earlier what I was saying about we're going to maintain our temporary rail traffic embargoes and our carload traffic, having it in place, because we just can't have a bunch of traffic flood. So it's got to, you can't go from zero to 60 in three seconds. It's got to be gradual. Uh, we're ramping up as quickly as possible, but it's got to be an orderly ramp up to get back to where we were. And to be very clear, the supply chain is not going to snap its fingers and be back to where it, you know, where it was um, prior to the labor disruption next week. This is going to take weeks to clear. For every day that the supply chain is shut down, it is going to take many days for each day to get back to normal here. So people have to have realistic expectations about how it is that the supply chain can recover. You know, I think one thing to keep in mind here is that unlike the kind of unexpected disruptions that we often deal with, like wildfires and floods and washouts, or if we get a wicked stretch of cold in the wintertime, this disruption was both predictable and solvable. The go forward here, you think about the impact on the economy, thinking about an issue of this nature is that looking to the federal government to put solutions in place that help keep goods flowing across the country and into export markets in consideration of potential labor issues in future you know so these these have real impacts on the economy and on the average consumer and the average person in there so it's it's uh it's really important that 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 gets a lot of uh, close scrutiny here on a go forward basis david jednovic is with cn rail Here are the top agriculture stories for the week of July 17, 2023. Russia terminated an agreement that allowed for Ukraine grain movement through the Black Sea. It's claiming its own agriculture products are not being allowed through the trade corridor. The deal originally brokered by Turkey was extended earlier this year. It allowed for agriculture product movement out of Ukraine. Grain shipments through the region were largely being sent to developing countries, and the cancellation of the deal has the United Nations sounding an alarm on the impacts this could have on food insecurity. The grain movement deal included a clause that all vessels using the port and shipping lanes would be subject to joint inspections, assuring that only grain and agricultural goods were on board. Prior to this cancellation, Ukrainian and U.S. officials had reported a significant slowdown in the number of vessels being allowed through the Black Sea. 
Canadian meat processors and beef and pork farmers asked MPs to vote against Britain joining an Asia-Pacific trading bloc that includes Canada and 10 other nations. They were arguing the UK should not be able to join since Canadian beef and pork producers don't have fair access to the British market. If the MPs don't reject the UK's membership, the farmers and processors want compensation for the financial losses that will result. After six years of moving towards becoming one entity, Alberta Barley and Alberta Wheat Commissions will become Alberta Grains as of August 1st. The commissions have shared a management structure since 2017 and have spent the last six years consulting with a farmer subcommittee and engaging the province's wheat and barley farmers in a dialogue through formal consultations. In October 2022, Alberta and wheat and barley farmers voted in favour of amalgamating the commissions through two plebiscites. The new logo of Alberta Grains is described as a symbol of the organization's commitment and unified strength to the province's crop sector. Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission and the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan called on the Canadian Grain Commission to reverse its decision to harmonize export and primary test weight and total foreign material tolerances in wheat. Announced in June, the harmonization is set to take effect August 1st at the beginning of the new crop year. Most Western Canadian wheat classes will be impacted at delivery by the new heavier test weight standard previously imposed on grain at port. Brett Hallstad, chair of Sask Wheat, said that there hasn't been enough time to accurately assess the financial impact this change could have on farmers. He says that the approximately three-pound test weight difference of the new harmonized standard could be significant enough to move a number one graded wheat to feed. Hallstad adds that elevators have the ability to blend wheat to meet spec, but individual farmers do not. He adds he is unaware of any complaints by Canadian grain customers regarding grain shipments that didn't meet the test weight standard. Saskatchewan's Agriculture Minister requested the federal government conduct an agri-recovery assessment to determine what assistance could be provided to livestock producers faced with prolonged dry conditions. David Merritt said a letter was sent to Ottawa requesting an early designation of the Federal Livestock Tax Deferral Program to provide producers facing potential feed shortages with more options as they consider if they need to liquidate part of their breeding herd due to drought. As of June 30th, western and southeastern regions of Saskatchewan received well below normal precipitation, while temperatures have also been significantly warmer than normal. Concerns include water quality, access to feed, and large grasshopper infestations. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.